If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Amen. You're welcome to open up your Bible so long to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We spent some time in that last week. I want to spend a little bit more time in that this week as well. It's our last week of our series called Winning the War in Your Mind. If you've missed out on some of the sermons, you can uh, watch uh, on our YouTube channel. You can also go to our website. You can catch up on everything that you've missed. But we've been speaking about this war that rages inside your mind. We've been speaking about the idea that your life is always heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Basically, what that means is this. How you think determines how you live. How you think about God, how you think about your own life, how you think about the world, your inner belief system that is formed through your thoughts governs and directs the entire trajectory of your life. And tonight, I want to speak about something that's um, it's, it's not, it's not going to be new. It won't be rocket science to you. Because I've said it the last few weeks as well. The enemy has a lot of different tactics when it comes to the way you think. And his agenda is simple. He desires for you to think in such a way that you feel far away from God. Because if you think you are far away from God or you, you think you feel far away from God, you will start living as someone that is far away from God. Why? Because how you think determines how you live. And tonight, we want to spend a little bit of time on this whole idea of calming my anxious mind, calming the anxiety that governs, that runs through my brain. So my only clinical takeaway for the evening, and then we're going to dive into the Bible because I'm not a doctor, I'm a pastor, but I did found this really interesting. Obviously, this won't be new to you, but we all know this anxiety, the feeling of dread, fear, uneasiness can lead to heart palpitations, fatigue, muscle tension, nightmares, trouble sleep, sleeping, or just a general fear and a really bleak outlook on life. The World, the world Health Organization actually released an article recently stating that the anxiety levels in the general population throughout the world has risen by 25% within the last year. Anxiety is now like in the top, very top category of the leading health crisis that people face today. And before we dive into the word, we just need to take a moment and just quickly appreciate the way that God put us together, okay? Our brains were literally designed and made by God to be wired, to be conditioned, to be trained to think in certain ways. But when it comes to how your brain is put together, there's a part of your brain that can be hijacked in a sense. It's a very small part. It's a small part in your brain called your amygdala. All right, this is where your fear center comes from, All right? Your amygdala is responsible for how you perceive danger. This is where your fight or flight uh, kind of response comes from. It comes from that part of your brain. So, for example, when you see a snake or a spider or someone texting on their phone, but you're driving and they're like coming straight towards you, your amygdala goes, move, get out the way, swerve to this side. That's your amygdala going, watch out. 
for me in my life, for example, when I see a spider, it's never fight and it's never flight. There's a third F and it's called fire, as in burn it with flames, okay? But there's a small part in our brain, the amygdala, and it gets hijacked often. It's not logical. Your amygdala is not logical. It is subject to what you feel and experience. The more you experience something in a certain way that brings up a certain emotion, your amygdala starts remembering that. So if you had a bad experience with, let's say, seafood, and you spent a week with food poisoning, your amygdala tells you every time you go to Ocean Basket, watch out, do not eat the seafood, because remember what happened last time. It's my only clinical takeaway. Now it's horrible, but that's a good thing. I'm not a doctor, I'm a pastor. When it comes to the life of a believer, when we look at the concept of anxiety or an anxious mind from a biblical perspective, this is what I found to be incredibly interesting. So whenever you read your Bible, spending time in the Word of God, and you come across the word anxiety, what you're actually reading when you read the word anxiety, that word anxiety in the Greek translates back to a word called merinmo. And the word merinmo actually comes from two different words. It comes from the word mind, and it comes from the word divide. So literally in the life of a believer, in the life of someone who knows and follows Jesus, struggling with anxiety literally means to have a divided mind. A mind that is in pieces, so to say. And we know that feeling, right? My divided mind when I think about my finances. I'm stressed. Don't know if I'll have enough. I don't know if my degree will be enough to secure a certain level of security for me going forward. My mind is divided. My divided mind, when it comes to my fear of the future, is there a future for me in this country? Should I move? Should I consider doing something else? Should I go try and find happiness elsewhere? My divided mind, my anxious mind, when it comes to my relationships, will I ever meet the one? Is the person I'm with the one? Should I be looking for someone else? Why didn't my relationships work out? Is it me? Is it them? My divided mind. My divided mind when it comes to my relationship with God. Am I close to God? Is he happy with me? Is he pleased with me? I don't know. Should I read more Bible? Should I pray more? Should I go to church more? I'm anxious. My mind feels divided. Have you ever felt that your brain just feels full? Like there's no more space. No more space for anything academic. No more space for anything social. No more space for bad news. No more space for good news. My mind just feels as if it is at capacity. A divided mind. See, the problem with a divided mind, an anxious mind, a mind that is in pieces, it can't be focused on God. A divided mind will very likely struggle to pray. You'll find your mind wandering as you pray to that test, that deadline, or that meeting, or that relationship, or that problem. A divided mind will struggle to read God's word. It's awkward, it's hard, it's difficult. A divided mind will struggle to worship. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you. That word stayed, I mentioned this last week as well. It literally means to put your weight onto it, (laughs) to lean against it. So the promise is peace for those who have a single-mindedness about them when it comes to their following of Jesus. And I want to look at two weapons tonight. Two weapons when it comes to our war against an anxious mind. Two weapons in the war against my mind that feels full, my mind that feels divided, my mind that feels it is at capacity. But before I do that, I just want to mention a quick thing. I think one of the biggest roadblocks, one of the biggest hindrances when it comes to the joy and peace in the life of a believer is skewed or wrong expectations. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you have ever thought or said this out loud? God, this is not how it was supposed to be. God, this is not how it was supposed to work out. God, I studied. What the hell? Or God, I went to church on Sunday. How can someone ram me on Monday morning and my car is written off? How many of you have ever thought that? Right, God, this is not how it's supposed to be. I think a lot of times believer, we, believers, we don't expect hardship. We don't expect suffering. We don't expect necessarily things to go wrong because you think, I follow Jesus. Life is supposed to be great. But the reality is following Jesus does not guarantee an easy life. And I know what you're thinking. Why did I come to church on a cold Sunday evening just so that Aiden can tell me my life will suck? Thanks a lot. Okay, but stick with me. I promise there's light at the end of the very dark tunnel. Because, okay, let, let's quickly read together. Romans 5 verse 10 says, while we were enemies, we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Let's just stop there for a moment. Before you and I know Jesus, before you come to salvation, you and I were actually called an enemy of God. <laughs> there was an animosity between me and God before I knew him. But luckily, before you know God, you're an enemy, yes, but you're an enemy of someone who loves you, an enemy of someone who will do anything, an enemy of someone who will literally do anything he can to bridge that gap and to take care of the animosity between you and him. But upon meeting Jesus, because it says we were reconciled to God by his son, that's Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, But here's the thing, the second you make peace with God, all of God's enemies declare war on your life and my life. And here's the thing, they don't love you. The enemy does not love you. He hates you. He is said to be literally like a prowling lion looking for prey to devour. Just a quick thought. So in the life of a believer, it won't necessarily always be easy. It won't necessarily always be free of attacks, especially when it comes to our minds. Why? Because the way I think determines the way I live. The way I think determines and builds my inner belief system, and it determines how I think about God, how I think about myself, how I think about the world. So if that's the case, if war has been declared on me, 
if there is an enemy out there seeking to destroy and infiltrate the way I think and then infiltrate the way I live my life through this one specific thing called anxiety, how do I go about winning the war? And those are the two weapons that I want to talk about tonight. So Philippians chapter 4. We did spend a lot of time on this last week as well, but I'm just so dang excited about this like letter because there's just so much more left for us to discover. But let's read together uh, from verse 5. It says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Now, that very first sentence, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then he says, our like, crux for the evening. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, who of you hated when this happens? I hated when this, when this happens. When you go to someone and you tell them, man, I'm stressed. I'm worried. I'm anxious. And they reply, but don't worry okay, <laughs> thanks, I did not think of that, right? We hate it when that happens, right? When I tell someone, I'm stressed, oh, but don't stress, <laughs> but I'm worried, oh, but don't worry. Like, that is not helpful to me. But the hilarious thing is, Paul is saying the exact same thing to you who are anxious, to you who are worried, to you who are stressed, don't be. And it's not as if he's sarcastic. It's not as if he's making a joke. But what he's actually saying in that sentence is, I have a choice. I can decide. I can refuse. I can resist when it comes to anxiety. I do not have to be a victim. I actually have the power by God's grace and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to say no. When anxiety comes knocking at the door of my mind, I actually have it inside me to refuse and say, no, I will not be anxious. I will not be worried. I will not submit to fear. But how is that possible? Let's read on where it says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's revealing our first weapon when it comes to the battle of anxiety in our mind. And the weapon is prayer, speaking to God. And I know that is like mind-blowing. None of us have ever heard that prayer is actually important in the life of a believer. This is revolutionary, I know. He's talking about speaking to God, praying our anxiety, praying our burdens, praying the things that worry us, that keep us at night. But he's talking about a specific way of praying. He uses the word supplication. And here's what that word means. It means the act of asking someone, and this is where it's really important, who is in a position of authority or power for something in a humble way. 
Supplication literally means, I know I come up short. I know I do not have what it takes. When it comes to the battle of anxiety in my mind, I know in and of myself, I will probably not have what it takes to resist. But luckily, I know someone who does. I know of someone who cares a great deal about me. I know someone who went as far as anyone could ever possibly go to prove their love for someone by dying for me on the cross and rising from the grave so that I do not have to say yes to anxiety. I can say no. Supplication, it's a specific way of praying. It's a form of prayer where I, in a humble way, I approach God and I use this, let's call it by a weapon when it comes to prayer, and I surrender. I rely on the authoritative, the powerful person's ability to take care of the situation that's causing anxiety in my mind, that's leading to an anxious life. Our first weapon when it comes to the war about anxiety, it's kind of a giving up weapon when it speaks about prayer, right? It's kind of a giving over. It's a relying on someone else's ability, relying on someone else's authority, relying on someone else's power to take care and to be in charge and to be sovereign over whatever is causing anxiety in my own life. I said there will only be one clinical takeaway, but I'm going to add a second one. Sorry about that. There's a Christian author. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she actually wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain. And in this book, she writes about a study saying that 12 minutes of focused prayer each day actually has such incredible effects on a person's brain that you will be able to see a change on a brain scan. Isn't that crazy? Prayer literally physiologically changes the way your brain looks. How crazy is that? How can your prayer life grow? And I know this is, it might be very basic. You might sit and wonder, well, no one has ever preached from a pulpit how I should pray as a Christian. This is brand new information for me. But as I was preparing this, I was just so encouraged again by how incredibly powerful prayer can be in my life. It can be as powerful as it literally changes the way my brain looks on a brain scan. It activates certain parts of my brain that few other things actually activate. We were made to pray, you and I. Someone who knows Jesus, you were made to pray. You were designed to be able to speak to God in such a way that it changes the way you think and it changes the way you live. But if it's so simple, why do most of us, I think, struggle so much with praying? Because we love control, right? Because we love the idea, yes, I want to give over my burden to God. I want to surrender my anxiety. I want to go to God and I want to lay down the things that are keeping me up at night. The things that govern my thoughts. And then I pray and I'm like, okay, Jesus, thank you. And I leave it. And I turn and I go. And then I go, well, God, it's been five minutes and still nothing has happened. So I'm just going to go and take this back. All right. <laughs> Don't we do that? 
when things don't change in five minutes, then suddenly I run back to God. I take back what I prayed because we love being in control. And supplication or this way of praying is a simple way of saying, God, I choose not to be in control. I choose not to be the author of my own life. I choose not to be the boss. I choose to rely on you. I choose to rely on your authority. I choose to rely on your power. You are the one that will calm my anxious mind. First weapon is a giving over weapon. It's a kind of surrendering weapon where I use prayer as a powerful and effective way to battle the war of anxiety in my own mind. So just for a moment, think, how can your own prayer life grow in this next season? This term that we are kicking off again in this week, getting back to varsity, getting back to your job, getting back into the rhythm of life. How can your prayer life grow? You want to change your brain? Start praying. You want to make your life change? Start praying. Spend time speaking to your father. Second and last weapon, and then we're going to wrap things up for the evening. Let's continue to read uh, that Philippians verse. It says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Just look with me at those last few words where he says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That is a good indication. That literally means the peace of God is conditional upon the practicing of whatever he writes before that sentence, right? What does he write before that? Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why would he write, think about these things and not just do them? Why? Because the way you think determines the way you live. How I think about God determines how I live. How I think about myself determines how I live, how I think about my value, my worth, my identity will determine how I approach my sexuality. How I think about my purpose, what God has for me, will determine how I treat my neighbor, how I treat the academics I'm busy with, how I treat my job, how I treat my finances. He says, think about these things because what you think about starts coming out of you in a very practical way in the way you live. Our second weapon, when it comes to waging war against anxiety in our mind, if the first weapon is a giving over weapon through prayer, our second weapon would be a taking up. A taking up weapon when it comes to, okay, I surrender whatever is causing anxiety, but then I don't leave my mind empty. I don't leave my heart empty. I actually pick up. I fill my mind with what is just, pure, right, true, commendable, excellent. And this is where I believe following Jesus, Christianity, differs a great deal from positive vibe psychology and just positive thinking that says it's all in you. You just need to like call it out 
or where we are, we hear it in the world, just like manifest it and it'll like be, okay? I don't even know what that means, all right? But here Paul is writing, whenever I give up, I surrender, I give over, I don't leave myself empty. I pick something up as well. What do I pick up? The things I fill my mind with. And then he gives us categories about what we ought to fill our minds with. Is it true? Is it just? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Is it commendable? He gets into the specifics. That last sentence where he says, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That word think, and this is my last geek moment for the evening, and then I'm going to invite the worship team to join me. That word think, and I like geeking out about these kinds of things, but that word think in the Greek is the word logitsumai. Just quickly turn to someone and tell them logitsumai, and you'll feel really smart when you do that. You feel like, man, I know the Bible when I know words like this. But that word think, that word logitsumai, it's a verb. And it actually means to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to record in, to reckon inward, to count up or to weigh the reasons, to deliberate. He's actually saying, when I think about those things, I'm not passively like sitting and thinking and wondering and like, you know, things are just, no. He's saying this is a very deliberate action of faith. It's a deliberation, it's a weighing, it's a measuring of these things because why? The way I think determines the way I live. So when it comes to your anxious mind tonight, whatever that may be, the worship team can join me on stage. We're gonna end off in a response of worship. Whatever is that thing for you, causing anxiety, keeping you up, whether it's finances, whether it's that sin or temptation that you just can't seem to shake, whether it's a fear of where your life is going, whether it's the uncertainty, if you're in the right vocation, studying the right degree, whatever is keeping you up, whatever is dividing your mind at this moment, can I invite you in these next few days, in this next season of your life, won't you try praying and giving and surrendering and laying down those things to God and leaving it, <laughs> not picking it up again, not taking it back. But then secondly, can I invite you to fill your mind as well, to fill your mind with what is good, what is just, what is true, what is commendable, what is excellent. Why? Because the way you think will determine the way you live. I mentioned this last week as well, but in this coming term, we actually want to get really practical when it comes to what I fill my mind with. We want to use this term as a church family over these next few weeks, and we want to make it really practical for me and for you. How do I fill myself with the things of God? And there are many ways to do that, many, many, many ways. But I believe, as a follower of Jesus, one of the best ways, one of the easiest ways, actually, to fill your mind with the things of God is by spending time in His Word. I say, we have a little boy, he's um, almost 10 months, can you believe it? We've survived almost a year, woo! 
kicking or killing this, crushing this parenting thing. No, I'm kidding. But we have a little boy, and I've gotten into the habit, whenever I change his diaper, I sing to him because he hates it anyway. So he, like, starts kicking and screaming, and then it's, like, poo flying everywhere. So you have to, like, distract him, otherwise it gets really messy. So I've started singing to him, and I'm a really bad singer. Like, I have other talents, okay? I'm a really bad singer, but I've gotten into the habit of singing to him whenever I change his diaper because it distracts him. And, the thing, and I used to sing like really bad things, like things that you just like kind of hear on Friends and Big Bang Theory. And I was like, okay, maybe I should just choose something differently. And I started singing to him recently. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day and you will grow, grow, grow. And as I'm singing this to our little boy, I'm like floored again with how significant that is in the, in the life of a believer. Spending time in the thoughts of my father. Speaking to him. Spending time with him. And this term as a church family, that's what we want to do. You'll see a little bit more about that in the family news. But in the next few weeks as a church family, we're going to read our Bible. We're going to spend time in God's word. We're going to make it practical. Can I invite you to stand? Let's pray and respond. As we start a new term, as we get back into the swing and the rhythm of life, as we get back to classes and work and just the craziness, let me be honest with you. Come tomorrow morning or even as you exit and drive home tonight, there will be an agenda against you as a follower of Jesus. No doubt about it. And we speak about in this series, winning the war in your mind. But the good news is for you and me tonight, and I think this is why I saved it for the very last Sunday. The good news for you and me who follow Jesus is, yes, there is a battle in my mind. But the good news is the war has actually already been won. Jesus and the devil, they are no longer like in a tug of war arm wrestle. He's won completely. So when I say there's an agenda against you, you're sure there is one. But can you imagine how differently you will approach your life? How differently you will approach the battle in your mind when it comes to the way you think if you realize I've already won. This is literally a fight I cannot lose. I've got Jesus, Christ in me. He's the hope of glory. So can we pray together just as we start a new term, as we gear ourselves up and just pray, God, I want to fix my mind on you. When it comes to my academics, I want to fix my mind on you. When it comes to my job, I want to fix my mind on you. When it comes to my sexuality, my relationships, the way I go about life, I want to fix my mind on you. Let's pray together. Father, this is our prayer as we start this new term together. Father, I, as your daughter, your son, someone who loves and follows you, God, I want to fix my mind on you. I want my mind to be a single-minded mind. I want my gaze to be towards you. I want my affection to be for you. I want my worship to be of you, Father. And when the agenda runs against that in any way, God, won't you by your spirit come and remind me 
and come and fill me again with the truth that this is literally a fight I cannot lose. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let's end off by worshiping together. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.